All right, take your copy of God's Word and open it with me to the Gospel of John. This morning we are in chapter 11, beginning in verse 17. John 11, verses 17 through 36. C.S. Lewis was a great theologian and British scholar in the 20th century. He taught at Cambridge and at Oxford. He wrote quite a few books that many of you know and love, like Surprised by Joy, The Screwtape Letters, The Chronicles of Narnia. He also wrote one book, perhaps he's best known for Mere Christianity, in which he describes his journey out of atheism to becoming a follower of Christ. That particular book has had a very deep influence on millions and millions of people. Well, after accomplishing most of that, C.S. Lewis met and fell head over heels in love with a woman named Joy, and they were married. Not long after the wedding, however, she began to complain about a certain pain which they investigated and she was diagnosed with bone cancer and his wife joy died just four years into their marriage now c.s lewis was so overwhelmed so crushed by this loss that afterwards he wrote the following words listen to this Go to him when your need is desperate, when all other help is vain. And what do you find? A door slammed in your face, and the sound of bolting and double bolting on the other side. After that, silence. He added, why is God so present a commander in our time of prosperity? And so very absent a help in our time of trouble. May I remind you that these are words that C.S. Lewis wrote at a time when most people considered him to be a giant of the faith. And yet, I've noticed that that statement never appears on anyone's list of favorite C.S. Lewis quotes. He wrote that statement at a time in his life when he was greatly disappointed in God. Have you ever been there? If so, you're in good company because many of the heroes in the Word of God were there at some point. For example, Job said, the arrows of the Almighty are pointed at me. David said in Psalm 13, How long will you hide your face from me? Will you forget me forever? That great prophet Habakkuk said, How long will I cry and you do not hear? I cry violence, but you do not save. There are going to be times in your life when, in spite of your best efforts, you simply do not understand something that God has done or something that God has allowed to come into your life, and you will be disappointed. Now, there is one thing I need to make very, very clear before I go any further. I need to make clear 
that Jesus does all things well. Jesus never makes a mistake. All of his ways are perfect, and he knows what he is doing. He knows how to take care of us, and therefore, when those moments come, and when we are feeling disappointed in him, the problem is never with him. The problem is always with us. Our lack of faith, our lack of understanding, our lack of growth, and yet we're all going to be there at some point. And we're going to see an example of this in the verses we're going to read this morning. At the beginning of John chapter 11, Jesus was told that his good friend Lazarus was deathly sick, and everyone assumed that Jesus was going to rush to Lazarus' side and he was going to heal him. But instead, Jesus intentionally stayed where he was and showed up four days after Lazarus had died. Now, next Sunday, we'll look at the actual miracle that Jesus performed when he raised Lazarus from the dead. But this morning, I want to focus on the interactions that Jesus had with the sisters of Lazarus, with Martha and Mary. And as we are going to see in our scripture, they were very disappointed in Jesus. And as we read this, we ask the question, what do we do when those moments come? When we are feeling disappointed in Jesus, when we're feeling disappointed in God. Well, first of all, voice your complaints to Jesus. Voice your complaints to Jesus. Look at verse 17. So when Jesus came, he found that he, Lazarus, had already been in the tomb four days. Now Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles away. Notice that, two miles. Jerusalem is where Jesus' enemies were who wanted to stone him to death. And yet Jesus went within two miles of where they were. In other words, about the same distance between here and that new movie theater on Chrome Avenue. Just two miles. Verse 19, And many of the Jews had joined the women around Martha and Mary to comfort them concerning their brother. Now, depending on how long Jesus took to go from Bethabara to Bethany, it certainly appears that Jesus could have been there by Lazarus' side before Lazarus died. He could have. I have no doubt that Jesus certainly had the desire that he wanted to be there for his friend, but Jesus was more committed to doing the Father's will than doing his own. So look at verse 20. Then Martha, as soon as she heard that Jesus was coming, went and met him, but Mary was sitting in the house. Now you're going to notice that Martha and Mary were sisters, but they were very different. They had very different personalities. Martha was the extrovert. She was the impulsive one. She was the one whom, if you hung out with her long enough, she was willing to open her mouth and tell you exactly what she was thinking. And after all of this time that Martha and Mary were waiting for Jesus to come, but then he did not come, and now it seems to be too late, but here he is. She found out that Jesus was near, and she rushed to meet him, 
to give him a piece of her mind. Look at verse 21. Now Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Can you hear the tone in her voice? Can you perhaps imagine her expression, the look on her face? You have love and pain and grief and anger all rolled up together in that statement. Try to imagine if the person you loved more than anyone else were to let you down in the worst possible way. Maybe some of you are there right now. But if you can imagine that, you're beginning to understand what's happening here. It's like Martha is saying to Jesus, Jesus, you hurt me very deeply with your absence. And she does not yet understand that Jesus was not absent because he did not care. He was absent because he knew that God had a better plan. It reminds me of a story I read about a soldier in World War II who found out that his best friend was injured and lying on the battlefield. And this young man, at great risk to himself, got up and he fought his way and ran to where his friend was. And when he finally found his best friend who was injured but alive, his friend looked up at him and said, I knew you would come. There's a sense here in which Martha and Mary, they just knew that Jesus would come. But then he didn't. And so Martha wants to know, where were you? Why weren't you here when we needed you? Maybe some of you have asked that question. God, where were you when my loved one died? Where were you when that drunk driver ran through a red light? God, where were you when someone betrayed me, when someone abandoned me, when I was abused? And let me tell you, this is very personal for me. Because I grew up as a little kid asking a question that no little kid ever asked. I grew up asking God, where were you when my mother was murdered? Where were you? She wants to know. Lord, Martha says, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Now notice, first of all, there is a fundamental problem in her thinking. She thinks that Jesus had to be there in order to heal her brother. How quickly she has forgotten what happened in John chapter 4. You remember that story when the nobleman came to Jesus and begged him, please come now to Capernaum because my son is dying. Come and heal him. And you remember what Jesus said, go, your son lives. Jesus did not have to be physically present in order to heal Lazarus. So that's her first problem. But notice this word, if. If you had been here, my brother would not have died. Isn't that a, a sad word? Sometimes it's painful to look back and think, if, if this would have happened, if only such and such would not have happened. There is a, a, a poet once who, who wrote these words of all sad words of tongue and pen. The saddest are, 
it might have been. Well, Martha and Mary are very cognizant of what might have been, what could have been, and they're hurt because it just did not happen. So what do you do? What do you do when you are disappointed because God did not do what you thought he would do, what you thought he should do? We follow the example of these sisters. Yes, Martha is making an accusation. Yes, she is complaining. But listen, she's complaining to the Lord. And it's worth noting here that at no point in John 11 does Jesus rebuke Martha or Mary for this complaint. There were plenty of times in the Gospels where Jesus rebuked his own disciples because of their lack of faith, but he does not rebuke them. Not now. And why is that? Because they were not so much complaining about Jesus as they were complaining to Jesus. And there's a big difference between the two. It is not a sin to tell God how you feel. Now, your feelings may be wrong. They probably are. Mine are most of the time. It's not a sin to tell God how you feel, so present it to the Lord. Voice your complaints to Jesus. Now, something else that you should do, affirm your faith in Jesus. Affirm your faith in Jesus. Look at verse 22. Martha's still speaking. But even now... I know that whatever you ask of God, God will give you. I love what Martha is doing here. She clearly does not know that Jesus is about to raise her brother from the dead. So what exactly is it that she has in mind? What is it exactly she thinks that Jesus is going to ask the Father to do for them in that situation? And I don't think she has any idea. It's kind of like she's saying, Jesus, I don't understand any of this. This does not make sense to me. And I don't see how anything good could possibly come out of this situation. All I know is you are able to take this mess and fix it. All I know is that whatever you ask the Father to do, he will do for you. Now, what is Martha doing? She is affirming her faith in Christ. Her faith is limited. Her faith is incomplete. But she's affirming it. She's saying, this is what I believe. This is what I know. And so Jesus meets her there. And notice how he responds in verse 23. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Today we can take those words in verse 23 and we can boldly repeat them over every tomb, over every grave of every brother or sister or mother or father or husband or wife or son or daughter or friend who has died in the Lord and say he or she will rise again. But in this case, Jesus is not talking about a future resurrection. Look at verse 24. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Hey, you know what? Martha knew her Bible. Martha knew her Bible. She knew that 
The book of Daniel chapter 12 says that one day those who sleep will be raised, some to everlasting life and others to everlasting destruction. She knew that Jesus claimed in John chapter 5 that he was the one who would one day make that happen. So Martha believes in the doctrine of the resurrection. She believes in the doctrine, but there's still something she does not understand. Verse 25, we see Jesus' response, and what I'd like to do is we're all going to read verses 25 and 26 out loud together. So say it with me. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? Here is another one of those great I am statements in the Gospel of John. We've seen this over and over again where Jesus reaches back and takes that holy name of God, I am Yahweh, ego, I, me, and he applies it to himself and he says, I am the resurrection and the life. Now up to this point, Martha and Mary knew Jesus as a friend they knew Jesus as Savior and Lord. They knew that Jesus was powerful and kind and good. They knew that Jesus had the power to heal. And they even knew that one day Jesus will resurrect the dead. What they did not know is that he is in himself the resurrection and the life. He is the resurrection and the life. You say, well, what does that mean? That means that the power to raise the dead and the power to impart life to someone is not a power that Jesus received apart from himself. The power to raise the dead and the power to impart life is not something Jesus possesses Apart from himself, no, he is himself that power. And this is a claim that no one else could make in all of history. No one could say legitimately, I am the resurrection and the life because only Jesus was the Son of God who came from heaven to earth, who lived a perfect life, who died on the cross, and who rose again Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. Martha is standing right in front of Jesus. And notice what she's doing. She's talking about the resurrection in terms of something that will happen in the future. She's talking about the resurrection in terms of a doctrine. Now, there's something I need to say here. But I need to be very careful because if I'm not, it would be easy for you all to misinterpret what I'm going to say. So listen carefully. Doctrine is important. Sound doctrine is absolutely essential. Now having said that, it's one thing to believe in a doctrine and it is another thing to place your faith in Christ. 
And yes, it's possible to do one and not the other. Hear me carefully. We are not saved by a doctrine. We are saved by a person whose name is Jesus. And this person, Jesus, was standing right there in front of Martha. Do you realize what that means? That means she does not have to wait until the end of time for her brother to be raised from the dead. The power of the resurrection is right there in front of her. Jesus can do it now. And I've noticed that it's one thing to believe that God can do something or to believe that God will do something in the future. One of these days, way down the road, it's another thing to believe that God can do something and God will do something right now. To say, right now, God can intervene. Right now, God can change things. Therefore, right now, I'm going to put my trust in Him. That's what Jesus is inviting Martha to do. But it's because Jesus could say, I am the resurrection and the life, that He follows that in verse 25 by saying, He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. I want you to notice that word die in verse 25. It's in the past tense. You could also say, though he already died, though he may have died, he will live. Lazarus had died, and yet, having believed, he will live, and not just live, but live in the fullest sense of the word. And notice this great and precious promise to whom is it given? He who believes in me. Jesus did not say, he who lives a good life, though he die, yet will he live. Jesus did not say, he who earns my approval, he who lives a worthy life. No, he who believes. Whoever places his or her faith in Christ, though he may die, yet he shall live. Jesus follows that saying, whoever lives and believes in me, because to do one is to do the other. Belief in Christ, life in Christ go hand in hand. Whoever lives and believes in me, he said, shall never die. Now, someone immediately is going to ask the question, well, wait a second, pastor. How can Jesus say the one who lives and believes in me shall never die when he just said in the verse before that if one believes in me, he will live though he has died? Well, in verse 25, Jesus is talking about the physical resurrection of the body. And the fact that one day, when Jesus comes again, there will be a physical resurrection in which we are raised from the dead and we will have glorified bodies. But verse 26, he's referring now to spiritual resurrection. And we'll talk a little bit more about this next week. But the same Jesus who is able to physically raise someone up from a grave is also able, it turns out, to take that man or woman who is dead in their trespasses and sins and give them new life. And that person, having received this new life in Christ, Jesus said, 
will never die, not in the true sense of the word, because death is not separation of the soul from the body. Real death is the separation of the person from God. And so Jesus said, whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. He makes this incredible statement. And then notice Martha's reply in verse 27. She said to him, Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is to come into the world. Now, Martha hasn't yet learned the lesson Jesus is going to teach her. But notice three key words that she uses. And notice how with each one of these words, she is affirming her faith in Christ. She says, yes, Lord. I believe that you are Lord. That means he has power. That means he has authority. I believe you are Christ, meaning the Messiah, the one God promised to send who would save us from our sins. And she said, I believe you are the Son of God. In other words, the Word made flesh. God become man. Martha says, yes, I believe. That is the perfect tense. It means I have believed and I continue to believe. Now, she may be confused. She may have a lot of unanswered questions, but she is affirming her faith in Jesus. And when you feel disappointed in God, what do you do? You voice your complaints to Jesus. You affirm your faith in Jesus. And one more thing I want you to notice, you share your grief with Jesus. You share your grief with Jesus. Look at verse 28. And when she had said these things, she went her way and secretly called Mary, her sister, saying, The teacher has come and is calling for you. As soon as she heard that, she arose quickly and came to him. Now Jesus had not yet come into the town, but was in the place where Martha met him. Then the Jews who were with her in the house and comforting her, when they saw that Mary rose up quickly and went out, followed her, saying, She is going to the tomb to weep there. Then when Mary came where Jesus was and saw him, she fell down at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Now it's Mary's turn. I told you that Martha was the extrovert. Mary was the introvert. Mary was the quiet one. Mary comes to Jesus knowing he wants to see her and she repeats that same complaint that her sister had made. Lord, if you had only been here, my brother would not have died. But I want you to notice something that Mary does here that is different from her sister Martha. In verse 32, the Bible says she met Jesus and she fell down at his feet. Did you know that every time this Mary's name appears in the Gospels, she's always at the same place? Did you know that? Every time this Mary, her name is mentioned, she's at the feet of Jesus. That's right, every time. In Luke chapter 10, when her sister Martha was busy in the kitchen, where was Mary? At the feet of Jesus. In John 12... She anoints the feet of Jesus 
She dries them with her hair. Here she is again, outside the grave of Lazarus. And she casts herself down at the feet of Jesus. What a great place to be. Especially when you're hurting, when you're confused, when you're tired, when you're going through whatever trials and tribulations in life. Place yourself, spiritually speaking, at the feet of Jesus. In other words, get alone with God. Get away from the chaos. Get to that place of worship and meditation and quiet so that you can speak to Him, so that you can hear Him speak through His Word. Listen, let that pain drive you to Jesus' feet. She cast herself down at His feet. And notice how He responds in verse 33. Therefore, when Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who came with her weeping, He groaned in the Spirit and was troubled. I want you to notice that word groan in verse 33. We're told this again in verse 38 that Jesus groaned. That word means to not just groan, but it means to groan with indignation. It was used of of a horse snorting. It was sometimes used of an animal like a lion roaring. The Bible says that he groaned in spirit when Jesus saw Mary weeping and all of the others weeping. There was a roar inside of him. There was a groan of indignation because when Jesus saw the effect that our sin has had upon the world, how bitter this pill of death, he was a little bit angry because that's not the way God created it and that's not the way it's supposed to be. He groaned with indignation. You know 90% of the people that you meet who do not believe in God, if you ask them why they do not believe in God, they'll give you the same answer. Look at all the pain. Look at all the suffering. Look at all the, at all the evil and all the calamity. If God is real, why doesn't God do something? Well, guess what, folks? God sees all of that. God knows, and God is actually more angry about it than they are. And that is why God actually did something by sending His only begotten Son to live in our place and to die in our place and to rise again in our place. Look at verse 34. And He said, Where have you laid Him? They said to Him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. Then the Jews said, see how he loved him. We think about that word, or those words in verse 35, Jesus wept. Just two words. But how powerful, how full of meaning they are. Did you know that there are actually three times the Bible tells us in the New Testament that Jesus wept? He wept outside of Jerusalem when he thought about how she had rejected all of the prophets that God had sent. The Bible says in Hebrews that Jesus wept at the Garden of Gethsemane when he considered the price that he would have to pay 
And here he is again outside of the grave of Lazarus, and he wept. Now, what amazes us when we read this is that Jesus actually knew what was about to happen. Jesus knew that in just a few moments, he was going to tell them to roll the stone away, and he's going to speak those words, Lazarus, come forth, and he's going to be raised from the dead. And all of a sudden, all of their mourning is going to be turned into rejoicing. Jesus knows that is going to happen. He knows about the happy ending, but the Bible still says that he wept. Why did Jesus weep? He wept because he had this ability to experience and to feel the grief of the people around him. That's the kind of Savior he is. And you know what? This same Jesus who wept outside of the grave of Lazarus, the Bible tells us in Hebrews that he is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Do you understand what this means? If the Jesus who wept is the same yesterday, today, and forever, that means hearts break. might one day have the opposite. The Bible tells us that Jesus wept so that, according to Revelation 7 and 21, one day this same Jesus might wipe away every tear from our eyes. He wept so that that would be a reality for us. A lot of people when they think about John eleven thirty five, 35, the first thought that comes to their mind is shortest verse in the Bible. Did you know that actually it's not? I was told that it was when I was a little boy in, in Sunday school. Well, in the English it is, but you understand the Bible wasn't written in English. It was written in Hebrew and Greek. And it turns out in the original language, the shortest verse in the Bible is not Jesus wept. That's actually the second shortest verse in the Bible. Always. Isn't that interesting? The two shortest verses, Jesus wept, And when we look at these two verses, we can't help but notice this. We put it all so we might escape death and rejoice. He faced death and wept so that we might escape death and rejoice. That's what this story is about. It's not just about one miracle that Jesus performed for Lazarus. It's about what Jesus has offered to do for you and for me and to all who will believe. 
So what do you do when you are disappointed in God? You voice your complaints to Jesus, and you affirm your faith in Jesus, and you share your grief with Jesus. And let me tell you, in his time, in his perfect time, he will respond. Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. But you notice, he followed that up in verse 26 with a question. Do you believe this? Now, Jesus was speaking to Martha, but that question is not just for Martha. That question is for you, and that question is for me. Do you believe this? Have you placed your faith in Jesus, not just a doctrine, but the person, Jesus Christ, the resurrection and the life. And if not, he's inviting you to do so today. Do you join me as we pray? Oh God, how we thank you that you sent Jesus, the resurrection and the life. He came and lived and died and rose again in our place so that whoever believes in him, that's it, whoever places their faith in him will physically live even though they die and will never truly die. What a great promise. And Father, we pray that you'd help us to remember that promise and remember these truths when we come to those points in our lives where perhaps we're disappointed, not because of you, but because of us. But when we don't understand what you've done or something you've allowed into our lives, help us to remember to do these very things and to follow the example of these two sisters, Mary and Martha. God, we pray for any who might be here today who have never believed. In other words, they've never placed their faith in Jesus. And God, we pray that this would be that day that by an act of faith, they would confess Jesus as Lord, believing that he died and that he rose again. That even today, November the 5th, 2023, they would be born again. Speak to hearts, knock on the doors of hearts this morning. Give us the grace to respond. If there's even one here today who needs to be saved, God would give you the thanks and the praise.